All right. Hello, yeah. everybody. Welcome right. to this edition of Tennessee Wildcast. Doug, you're trying to step on my toes. I was. I was. I'm no. sorry. Uh, welcome, uh, episode 61, and we are in a studio outside today, which that's, is nice. That's what I started to say, but you go ahead. You're doing a good job. <laughs> we're trying to, to beat the rain here. we got a few sprinkles, so we're going to hope this 30 minutes goes quick, but yep. we're uh, we're here at Springfield Hatchery talking with Mr. Roger Bents today. Bits. Bits, Bits I'm sorry. And uh, it's going to be a fun show. It is. We got somebody else we're going to introduce in just a minute. Yeah. Okay, we'll get to all that. we got to talk a, a little, a few little bit of current events. And by the way, Springfield Hatchery is in Springfield, Tennessee, exactly, so, which is in Robertson County, in Middle Tennessee. <laughs> but fish go all over the place, and we're going to get into all that. Yep. Let's talk a little bit current events, though. Been okay. a lot going on. There has been. I wanted to bring up that turkey. We're still in turkey season. That we had a. We, this has been our era of um, state records the last couple of years on stuff. Mm-hmm. And state records are fun. I mean, if I went out and caught a five-pound bass, it might not be what Gabe King caught, but it's yeah. a big fish. It's a trophy to me. I think but we, we still, know you're not going to catch. Well, never <laughs> we mind. Do. We won't go there. <laughs> Put them all together, <laughs> maybe on a good day. Anyway, but anyhow, we we had another state record. Pending, it might, Possibly. and it's on a wild turkey. A young man named Cord Maddox. Cord Maddox, yes. Over in Henry County, which is west of us. It's what we would call in our region one or West Tennessee, but it's not that far from the mid state. Right. And uh, it's, it's, you know, they use the formula from the NWTF to figure out all this. It has to something to do with the length of the beard multiplied by two and the length of the spurs multiplied by eight or something like that. And mm-hmm. the pound of the weight of the bird and then all that added up uh, gives you the numbers that they use. And Cord's bird was 89. Five point five six two or something like that. Just barely beating just the barely. record. It's just barely. I'm talking about it. It would be a photo finish if it was a race. Yeah. But we're going to keep an eye on it. it. We put it out on Facebook. It got a lot of social media interest, and mm-hmm. people just love that stuff. Pretty and cool. It is, and he's a nice young man. He's another guy. It's just a young guy. He loves to hunt and fish. He's very good at it, and I hope it stands for him. And so just another. If you want to try to beat his record or try to top that one, you only got a few more weeks to do it. Better hurry. Season's over uh, May 14th, I think, is the last day of the season. This year. Right. But I always look at the guy. But yeah, some uh, I think I, talking to Cord, he had already bagged out. And this was a couple weeks ago. Yeah. So he's really good. He's helping other people hunt now, which a lot of folks do. Mm-hmm. Once they get their four birds out of the way, they go do that. I also want to remind everyone that the uh, agency is, is getting together with the commission. That happened. Actually, it's happening this week. Right. And But what's going to happen is they'll discuss recommendations for the coming season year. And mm-hmm. then the next month in May, we're all going to be down at Bryan College in Dayton, Tennessee. Dayton, Tennessee. And setting the season. Chickamauga. Chickamauga. <laughs> I know. I know what you're, know you're hinting at. <laughs> anyway, they'll be setting the seasons down there then. So you'll have a month to think about it, to let the folks know what you think about what's being done. And, no, we don't know what all is going to be proposed yet. I've been in on some discussions listening to our guys, but discussions are one thing. What gets recommended is totally sometimes something else. Right. And if you watched the show last week or listened to it, um, uh, we had Jason Henniger on, and he talked about uh, the comment period for fish. That's going. That's already passed, but uh, you'll have another comment period after they present yep. what the fisheries division is looking for for the next season. So okay. that's later on in the year, but you've missed that com- comment period if uh, if you hadn't. And they do. We, we got the we had comments that the wildlife had comments stuff that they were talking about the other day when they were mm-hmm. meeting about what they're going to present, and a lot of it was from comments. And do you pursue those comments? And you know, some get taken, some do, some don't. Well, they, they all get looked at. They all then, get looked at, every one of them. Yep. Uh, I think there were 600. I think I heard Mark Gullen, chief of our wildlife, say they had 600 and something comments this year wow. from hunters. So that's a lot of comments, and they, they go through every one of them. Right. They get emailed to them. One other thing, if you are female or if you know a female and they want to get involved with the outdoors and learn a little bit, 
uh, Beyond the Outdoor Women Workshop. They're taking applications from now. It's on our website. Go to our newsroom, application link out there, and uh, get involved in the outdoors. TNWildlife.org. TNWildlife.org. And real quick, let's introduce Zach over here. We yeah. got we got extra help today. Uh, Zach Patton's with us of Lebanon High School. And push that over there and let me say hey to Zach sure. real quick. Hello, hello. Hey, Zach, tell us tell us what you're doing at Lebanon High School and, and what's your future? Uh, I'm Zach Patton. I'm from Lebanon High School. I'm here today job shadowing uh, Mr. Jason and Mr. Doug here. I'm very happy to be here. I'm hoping to go into a journalism field, uh, media field, something like this. So I want to thank you all for letting me come out today. I hope I enjoy it. It's, we're going to have a fun day. You, uh, you, you did a video with us uh, a year or so ago helping us get out to yeah, be safe in the water. We're at Tennessee. Y'all did, did a, a great PSA. job. I appreciate it. All Have right, fun. Well, tell all the youngsters at Lebanon High School we say hello. I will. I will. Thank you. All right, good luck with your with your career, Zach. Thank you. All right. All I'm, right. I'm glad he's pushing the buttons today. Yeah, they may be done really well today. And you know, <laughs> this wouldn't have got set up if he hadn't have been here because you were off running looking at fish or something. I couldn't get any help out of you. I didn't see any yesterday, so I was going to look here. Uh, all right. Well, thanks, Zach. Let's introduce Roger. Roger Bitts is the manager of Springfield Hatchery. Mark Cook, by the way, also has been working here for a long time. You might see Mark in the background. He's he does great work. Um, he and Roger have this whole operation to themselves, Roger, and it's a tough job. That's right. When we were pulling in, <laughs> Roger lives on the property, and Zach says, do all of the managers of hatcheries live on property? Do all of them have to live on the property? Yes, they're all, there has to be a manager on site uh, on all of our hatcheries. What's the reason for that? Well, you eat, breathe, and sleep this when it's happening, and uh, especially during the production season now, I mean, uh like we just finished up our sauger production and you know when those females when it's time to spawn them whether it be two o'clock in the afternoon two o'clock in the morning you got to do it they're not going to wait on you're you. on the fish's time not your own i was telling so. zach too that there's also times where y'all might get a rain event or something may happen lack of oxygen might occur oh, in the ponds and you got to be ready to go absolutely i've many a time i've been out there at midnight putting an aerator in or a paddle wheel or something like that Do you yeah. ever think why am i doing this <laughs> Well, it has its moments, but, you know, I, I enjoy it. Yeah, all right, Roger. Where are you from originally? I'm originally from East Tennessee, uh, Campbell County area. And where did you get your degree that you could come out and, and work on a fish hatchery? I got my degree at Tennessee Tech. Okay. Yep. In, in what? Uh, it's in, in uh, wildlife, but I'm a major in fisheries. Okay. Yep. All right. Mm-hmm. A good school. A lot of our folks come from that school. Yeah. Yep. And a lot of come from where Zach's going. He's going to go to UT, and we get a lot of our folks out of there. Wildlife schools, if folks everyone know where to do wildlife degrees, That's there's three or four good pretty colleges. Pretty much it. UT Martin is another good one. UT mm-hmm. Martin and Lincoln Memorial University, uh, way over in East Tennessee. Yeah, I, th- I think Austin P has a has a program, too, now, if I'm not mistaken. So. Right. Sounds right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. All right, Roger, what does, a, what does a hatchery worker, in? just in a broad sense, what does the job entail? Well, here we're, we're what you call a warm water hatchery, so we don't do trout. Uh, that's considered a cold water. Uh, you know, here we do walleye, sauger. Uh, we do some, of course, the Florida strain largemouth, uh, black nose crappie. Uh, occasionally we do some brim. Uh, you know, there's about seven to ten different species that we do, but depending on the species, uh, it's you know like with for example with sauger and walleye we we get the brood we bring them in the building we induce them with a hormone and we strip spawn the fish and then when we do that we incubate the eggs inside and uh eggs hatch out and fry we put the fry in our troughs rear them out until they're ready to go in our ponds that's what you call intensive culture other species like 
black-nosed crappie, we just put the brood in the pond, let them do their thing, and then we in the fall we come in and harvest them. So that's a less intensive culture. So depending on the species, you know, there's there's a lot more steps involved with with some of these than others. But uh, you know, basically my job, I mean, I'm a fish farmer. You know, from from start to finish, I try to 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 bring a the the parents in. It, uh, in the case of walleye and sauger and make the babies and let them grow up in the ponds until they become stockable sized fish. When we got here today, on this day, you were inside with, with um, a technician from Humboldt Hatchery and y'all were working on smallmouth and we got some video we'll put out on Facebook of, yeah. of Roger talking to us about that. Smallmouth is not something I normally hear being raised in, in our hatchery, in our warm water hatcheries. Does that happen a lot? And Not, not a lot. I mean, uh, you know, typically bass take care of themselves in a mm-hmm. reservoir but there's a there's a few uh requests and allocations that are that are uh given to us and that's part of my job as the reservoir biologist they go out and they make their year, yearly assessments and then they come to us before the production season and say hey here's here's my order so it's my job to try to meet that order uh but but uh there's not a whole lot of requests for smallmouth and uh I think these were actually requested for Center Hill. Uh, that's the one request that rings a bell uh, okay. in my head. And Center Hills, it's over in Middle Tennessee, too, kind of. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's over there by Cookville, uh, Tennessee Tech area. But uh, what I wanted to try to do, the reason I did them this way is in the past when there was a smallmouth request is they'd put the brood in the pond and just like like we would our black-nosed crappie, you just put the brood in the pond, let them do their thing, mm-hmm. and then 40 days, whatever the production period is, whenever they get ready, we they pull the pond and the brood out. And you get these just variable results with pond spawn and smallmouth. You know, you may put the same amount of brood in one year and have 5,000 fingerlings, and then you may come back another year and have 50,000 fingerlings. So what I tried to do was just, like we, I mentioned earlier with it, bring intensive culture into it and it had been done with large mouth i don't know if it's been done this way with small mouth or not but it's certainly been done with large mouth if we we had a small uh, lined pond which means there's no dirt no gravels for them to spawn on we just put out some benches and some artificial spawn literally they mats. look like benches to hide under right? exactly we yeah. put them on some of our lakes exactly yeah. yeah yeah just to just take a, a concrete center block and a a slab of wood over top of that mm-hmm. and then just we've got these artificial spawning mats that uh that we made and we just slide that mat under the bench which have little rocks like in the middle of yeah, them, right? I, yeah. I actually glued okay. little rocks on them uh, <laughs> large mouth they don't they're not as picky but small mouth you know everything just has to be just right so pebble. yeah so we I, I thought well i'll just try this and, <clears throat> and sure enough when I, when we put them in there you know a week later I was kind of surprised at what we were seeing so um, Watch that video when we put out. It's cool seeing these fry. But yeah, we just so we put the mats out, let the brood spawn on them, and then I get in there with my waders on and I I rob the mats from them and I replace the the spawn mats with a fresh one. And I actually had several benches. I had three or four spawns on. A lot of people don't know that you know bass don't release all their eggs at once. It's what you call a partial ovulator. You know where they'll you know one female she she may release some eggs and then two three four days later a week later come in and release more eggs so i think i was getting the same female releasing multiple times and you know it's good for this the intensive side of it because 
you know, you just keep replacing the mats with fresh ones, and you can bring more eggs in the building. Keep making fry, mm-hmm. baby, baby, baby. And that's up. yeah, that's what we were doing. Is just so we were bringing the mats in the building and let the let the eggs hatch, and then we that way you've got a, a known number of fry that you're going to stock into a pond, and that's what Humboldt was here. They were they were coming to get the fry to rear out in their pond. They'll make them bigger. They'll go with the fingerling size exactly. of Humboldt. You're not set up necessarily to do that here or just... I, I am. I'm set up here, but we just don't have the space. We've got everything filled up with filled other up. species, but, uh, but... Let me ask you, I probably should hit that first, Roger, but Springfield Hatchery, is it the oldest hatchery in Tennessee or the oldest state hatchery in Tennessee, maybe? I think it's between us and maybe Flintville. Yeah, which was a federal hatchery originally. Yeah. Years ago. I know Irwin's pretty old too, but, you know, we're right there. If we're not the oldest, we're the the next in line. And how many ponds on Springfield Hatchery? We've got uh, 12 production ponds, and then uh, we've got a two-acre reservoir that we utilize as as a zooplankton and water source throughout the year so and creating food in there is that exactly what you're okay. yeah yeah uh, but we will actually stock that pond last and use it as a production so technically 13 okay. ish production ponds so going through the gear um from very early in the year i know y'all start collecting the hatcheries or at least the fisheries crews go out and collect uh i think walleye and sauger real early in the year is that the first thing you produce in the and what 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 order would it go what are you doing first and what do you end in october with yeah we typically so we'll start out with our walleye sauger, uh, you know, and, and we'll spawn those in the building and, and rear those out. And then uh, we'll stock our ponds, and that's usually a 40-day production period. But during that, like right now, mm-hmm. we're in that production period now. We've, we Our ponds have been stocked for a couple weeks. Uh, during that time, we're also stocking, like today, we've got Florida strain largemouth coming in, so... We'll be doing that. Uh, we'll have hybrid striped bass coming in as well, so we'll do that. Once that first crop of walleye and sauger, we harvest those here in a couple, two or three weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, we immediately refill those same ponds, refertilize, and we come in with striped bass. So the, the fish farmer's double cropping. It's exactly what it is, double cropping. Yeah, okay. we, do, we double crop almost everything here. So in the middle of summer, you have stripers and hybrids out here? Yes. And when do the when do the crappie go in? The crappie, uh, we're this year we're doing what you call a, a transfer, which Normandy Hatchery they've got the crappie brood in ponds right now, and oh, okay. and they will actually uh, harvest those ponds in May, I believe, mm-hmm. and they will bring me fingerlings, and I will put them on a fresh pond, a double crop pond. Okay. So they're kind of doing kind of the same idea as what i'm doing with smallmouth they're getting those fingerlings off away from the brood earlier uh to where we can get them in a pond by themselves and they do pretty good that way uh, is there some thought that when you keep them in with the brood fish that there's some uh their cannibalization yes. going on is that what they're doing yeah and I've, I've played around a little bit we've, we've had brood production ponds here before too meaning that we put brood in and leave them in for the whole season and, and crappie we don't harvest crappie till the fall so they're in a long time the brood are in with them for several months and i've played around uh, you know we try to put a trap net out and get the brood away from the fingerlings and, and i've done that and i've seen some kind of anecdotal evidence that it does it, it has an effect when you get brood away from the young i mean the 
Fish don't care. They'll eat their young. They're they're brutal. They're just fish. <laughs> they're going to eat something. Yeah. Uh, but yep. the, everything but the lures I throw at them for some reason. <laughs> not holding your mouth I'm, right. I'm going to go fishing with Roger. <laughs> anyway, Roger, so it's, it's an intensive job. When If there's a time of year when a, when a fish hatchery manager can get away from it all, mm-hmm. what time of year is that? It's winter. It yeah, is. I mean, it's 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 very seasonal i mean uh you know you always say you go from nothing to 90 and 90 to nothing but uh you know during the sauger production and walleye production and right now i mean i've had 70 hour work weeks you know and then in the winter you know i build so much comp time up now that i just i take off you know in the winter and then then we try to catch up on our maintenance and just get ready for the next season but uh, I get to do a lot of deer hunting. I don't get to fish as much as I I'd like to, but I get to do a lot of deer hunting. Yeah, well, so. it, there's at least something good about it's it. It's a trade off. It, it yeah. owns you for a while, and then yep. you get to take a little bit of time off. Um, mm-hmm. This um, the what what do y'all do as far as what, once the fish is ready to go? How large in a warm water hatchery like what everybody's seeing behind us? How large do the fish normally get on average? And where do you determine where they go, and how do you get everything ready to go? Well. We determine where they go based on the the allocation. The the biologists getting together and talking R- about what a lake needs. R- right. right. So okay. you know they'll say, well, you know, old hickory needs X number of sauger, X number of walleye, X number of striped bass, or center hill needs X number of smallmouth, or mm-hmm. you know, Watts Bar needs X number of uh, Florida stream bass. I mean, we get that before the season starts. So all that's predetermined before before we start everything up i think the only thing that's adjustable there is our crappie and that's because the the reservoir biologists do their crappie sampling in the fall all right so we kind of do a play it by ear with that species but everything else is predetermined but uh you know to prepare a pond i mean you know we start bringing them up several days before we stock the fry we fertilize them with soybean meal are they naturally is the water from a spring or how do you fill these things up yeah it's from a spring over here are most of them spring fed all the hatcheries somewhere uh no we're, some of them are spring some of them are uh you know just creek fed okay. some of them are tailwater you know like normandy that's hatchery. right normandy's uh, out of normandy dam i mean normandy's like yeah. eagle bend you know they're clinch river uh which is norse tailwater okay uh, water source so it's, it's kind of variable you know i uh I'm not sure Flintville if they're spring or a creek, but you just don't fill them up with it like you would a swimming pool, right? It's a house oh, no. with your, with your <laughs> didn't have to chlorinate. And yeah, okay. it, it's it's a process, and, and 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 getting the water temperature is probably one of the issues that you have sometimes. Uh, our water temperature, it's it's cool. You know, we're at like 58 degrees at our spring, which wow. uh, but it heats up pretty quick in these black liners. Uh, temperature is not really so much important as what well, you just want to pay attention to your oxygen and stuff okay. and make sure they might can see a paddle wheel going in the background yeah. back there where y'all that's a way of getting oxygen in and sometimes you tell me oxygen out yeah yeah actually that pond we had we actually had high do and a lot of which is dissolved oxygen a lot of people don't know is there's such a thing as too much oxygen for a fish and mm. and there is in a pond environment so you, you just each each pond too is its own it's its own animal i mean you know, you can fertilize a pond, bring it up at the same time, have the same recipe on one. They're the identical size pond and side by side, and, you know, they behave differently. So it's, you know, I don't really have an explanation for that. Well, and then it was the black liners that are in them. It seems like when I started years ago, they, they would have problems in these ponds. 
when they'd go to harvest the fish, uh, harvesting thousands and thousands of, of crayfish when they oh, did yeah. it too. Is that what the liners are for to keep critters out, or what's the idea? Well, it, it, it just it, it makes you – it's a lot easier to manipulate your water and your fertilization okay. with, a, with a line pond, and that was improvements that were done here uh, several years back. And, uh, you know, you, you use less fertilizer – uh, because the soil is not a natural buffer for that fertilizer, so it, it's it's easier to get a good bloom and a good uh, get the zooplankton, which is what our fish feed off of, the fish that don't take a pellet feed. Uh, it just makes it a lot easier, and they're a lot cleaner. Okay, do I, I notice the cold water hatcheries like like football hatchery where they're raising trout every day? They go out and they throw them a bunch of food, and they come up and bust the water. Mm-hmm. That doesn't go on here. You don't throw food out; it's no. all naturally produced. No, it does with striped striped bass and hybrids, and okay. we train them. But but all fish here are reared on zooplankton, which is the the microscopic organisms in the water that that they need, the bugs that the, that the small fish need to survive. So when we fertilize with the soybean meal, that's what the, the zooplankton comes out of that. Okay. But uh, striped bass and hybrids, uh, w- they will feed on zooplankton to a certain stage, and then we'll start feeding them. We've got a, a utility vehicle that we run around. We blow food out in a blower, and they will actually get trained to feed, just like trout or catfish or anything else. And, and it will come to a point, you know, halfway through the production of stripers and hybrids when they'll hear the utility vehicle and you can see them making a little mm. beeline on top of the water so it's pretty neat to, to eat. Yeah, yeah that's cool they learn quick and i think i interrupted you too roger you want, go ahead uh, the size of fish generally when they leave here they're not people aren't going to go catch them that day oh no no these i mean depending on the species i mean we you know we go by and hatch this by number per pound which i know that doesn't mean anything to average person but you know anywhere from inch and a half fish to three inch you know stripers and hybrids we've got them up to three inches or bigger but you know on average i'm gonna say two inch fingerling mm. numbers That's, game uh, then i mean they're not all gonna live are they up to the size where the fisherman can take them home right i mean it's you know i think there's a threshold with with some species where you know numbers versus size and that that's always a hard question to to answer is you know what's better more of a smaller size or less of a larger size right. and i think I see that. there is a threshold there on on some some stuff but you know like last year with our striped bass we we did some things here that uh, we got on a different food and we did some things with to get uh, to inoculate our ponds to have better zooplankton to where we get a better size striper so our numbers really didn't drop that much but our size of stripers doubled and, wow. I, and the you know a reservoir biologist already said that they they saw those fish that we stocked they were already showing up okay so you're saying so. If, you, if you're trying to figure out that threshold where they're not so big they start eating each other but they're big enough they survive when they hit the reservoirs right have and, a chance anyway yeah, of not being eaten and there's some you know like walleye and sauger you just can't hang or, and even florida strain bass you can't once you're out of zooplankton in the because those are zooplankton mm-hmm. reared species. Once you're out of zooplankton in the pond, you got to move them because they'll they'll turn on each other quick. Oh, they will. Yeah. So you you know, sometimes it's just it's just your the food kind of drives everything. With okay. That. Wow. So even in the pond, it's better to be bigger, huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have the bigger mouth. You, you can go after and and go when, ahead. When these ponds are full, do you run into to to predators? Uh, do you have to have problems with that, with birds or any other kind of predator? Yeah, occasionally they they show up. Uh, 
you know, we try to run them off best we can, but, you know, give me something to knock on. I don't want another problem here. <laughs> we, luckily, we don't have a whole lot of problems. You know, there's other hatcheries that deal with, you know, like Eagle Bend has otter problems really yeah. bad, and, you know, an otter can wipe a pond out quick. But uh, luckily, I haven't had too much trouble out of that here. So all right. How many fish are y'all producing in a year? Just It, it varies. I mean, uh, I think last year we were – think around 700,000 you know anywhere from 500,000 to a million fingerlings it's a lot of fish yeah and uh load them in hatchery trucks like you would anything Mm -hmm. else and take them to wherever they're going exactly are y'all the delivery folks for all of the fish too no you raise them but do you deliver them also yeah everything here we we deliver yeah okay all right do Mm y'all do a lot of sharing i know humboldt hatchery was here today Mm -hmm. and do y'all work a lot with each other uh yeah different yeah, definitely. I mean, the hatchery system in a whole, uh, you know, I don't know the cold water guys. I've, I'm not too familiar with their system, but the, but us warm water guys, we definitely, you know, we we exchange fry, uh, you know, whatever we can to help each other out. I think Eagle Bend was here last week and got some surplus sauger fry that we had, and you know, giving Humboldt these smallmouth, and and we go and Normandy Hatchery produces walleye fry for me. Uh, and uh, striped bass as well from Normandy and Eagle Bend. So, yeah, we do a lot of exchanging and try to help each other out as a whole. Okay, so. all right. And um, do the, eventually do all these ponds, will they all be dry as winter comes and you get to go deer season or do y'all keep water deer hunting no, or do y'all keep the water up? No, we try to uh, – once fall gets here and we do our last harvest, which will be crappie, would be the last thing that goes out. Uh, we try to leave them dry and let them wash out for the winter. Yeah. Uh, so when that last uh, pond goes down is that big dinner night oh <laughs> yeah it's uh you can hear the hear the cannons going off when we, <laughs> big sigh of relief <laughs> but, uh, yeah, i'm uh, deer hunting here i come here yeah, come deer hunting camp exactly. get to sleep for a few hours now <laughs> yep. we deer hunting uh roger what are some of the problems you face you've named a couple of them but what's something that most of us wouldn't think about that roger's up in the doing or worrying about or pacing around oh gosh the, especially here i mean this this hatchery for as old as it is it's kind of amazing that what we can still produce here i mean it's there's a lot of infrastructure issues i mean probably more so here than than some of the other more modern hatcheries i mean always having a pipe bust or you know the pond liners leaking or the the kettles old concrete kettles here you know you're patching hydraulic cement to, to feel like the little dutch boy with his thumb in the dam here sometimes <laughs> but uh it's amazing what a two team a two member team does here because yeah. then inside the building that's sitting y'all can't see it, it's right in front of us roger's got this maze of pipes going anywhere to help him produce stuff in the building versus out here before yeah. they get out here you learn to be a jack of all trades pretty quick if you're not coming into it you will be going out going out of it uh, plumber I mean. mechanic carpenter yep. all of the above yeah but yeah i mean you know just just the maintenance part is a is a big a big deal here but uh you know oxygen that's the, that's probably one of the most important things we got to watch in all of our ponds and like i said i mean you can have low oxygen high oxygen simultaneously in the same ponds that you filled up and you know had the same recipe so do y'all think, do you do, you have to walk around and do a DO study every on every pond? Every yeah, day? yeah, every morning I can get up and check DOs once we get them stocked. And uh, usually this time of year is not too bad. It's just, uh, you know, we just had some crazy weather recently mm-hmm. and a lot of cloudy, you get a lot of cloudy days like we got today. That, that 
it suppresses that phytoplankton where you don't really get that that oxygen and uh, and the rain too. As much rain as we've been having lately, it's uh, that suppresses it too. So it's just it's kind of a each year's its own its own challenge. But uh, you know uh, when I got fish in the building, that's it's hard for me to sleep at night. I mean, I lay there. Well, is that do I need to go check on this or do I need to check on that? And uh, I guess there's got to be some pressure on you because so many people are relying on you. Just because this hatchery's in in Middle Tennessee doesn't mean fish aren't going to West or East Tennessee, right? I mean, oh yeah, it's statewide. I mean, yeah. we we've we've got allocations statewide for, from here. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's you know I enjoy what I do. I take pride in it, and I guess I put sometimes may put a little more pressure on myself just because of that, but why we got into it yeah so oh, yeah. yeah it's a big big uh, job and and as much as you're raising here you combine that with all the hatcheries across the state you're talking about millions and millions of fish that get stocked every year in, in, yeah. in tennessee and what's the big difference we don't have the the, the cold water hatchery with us so they can see but if, mm-hmm. the, if you're looking at ponds here what would you look at at a cold water hatchery uh cold water hatchery would be like a series of raceways and, and trout and they uh, would feed the fish. Uh, there's not really a fertilizer process or, or anything like that. They got it made. They got it easy. Yeah. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, they do. Right. They got it easy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right, Roger. Thank you for your time. No problem. You do a great job. I, I uh, look forward to um, deer season for you. Thanks. <laughs> I'm going to go fishing, though, okay? Yeah, come on. Yeah, maybe Roger <laughs> will take his fish and show us how to catch a few. <laughs> Roger knows how to catch fish. Well, we've yeah. had a lot of offers here lately. We just need to take them up on them. Yeah. All right. Roger Bitts has been our guest. Thank you, Roger. Thank you, Zach. Thank you. Great yeah. job. You did a great job. Good come job, Come back sometime. Zach. Hey, you can watch this show at tnwildlife.org or listen right there. So just keep coming back. We're out there all the time. and All the shows are, are always out there. Check out our social media, too. Thank you all.